Hello. Hi, John. Hey, Ken. They're a bad uh, Dan. Ken, Merlin, Dan, go wherever you want. I said Ben, too. (laughs) Yeah. Don't forget Ben. (laughs) So what's up over there? How are you today? What's going on with you? You're just waking up. Just waking up, just yeah. getting uh, just getting my stuff together. Uh, you know, the usual kind of good morning times. Yeah. Good morning. I submitted a change of address to the post office. Yeah. And um, that's a big step. That's office, a big step. Big step. Big step. The post office. Um, now, I guess, is working in conjunction with Casper and <laughs> West Elm okay. and uh, Home Depot. And now they, if you submit a change of address with the post office, apparently your name goes on a list of a very select group of retailers oh. who uh, can now spam your inbox with their, uh. like, looks like you're moving uh, ad offers. Right. So that's not the best. That sucks actually. Yeah. It's really weird. It's, um, it's like my mom is a post office user. Mm -hmm. You mean, you mean me, ma, me, 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 No, I don't say me, ma. I'm not sure. It would insult her. It would deeply insult her. (laughs) Uh, but we were driving the other day. You see, we vote in my family. Ah, yes. We're 10 out of 10 voters. Right. As they say in the the politics. Yeah. Yeah. Vote for everything. And my mom was in Florida visiting my, my older sister and she cut her vacation short. Mm -mm. Um, because she wanted to get back here in time to vote. And so when she came home. But she also believes in the United States Postal Service. Right. So she submits things to the post office like mail holds. Okay. So like she's going out of town and she's got to, she doesn't want the, because this is for our international uh, listeners. Right. They might not know what that is. Well, you know, they have functioning postal services in other countries. I don't know. I know How, that in the you UK know. you get mail seven, eight times a day, uh-huh. but that's all I know about. When I was young and traveled in Europe, we would send, my mom would send things postal restant, meaning she would send them to a, to a post office in a town she knew I would be at one day. And then I would get to the town and go to the post office and say, Hi, I'm Joe America walking across the <laughs> world here, like bopping, you know, even before I did my walk, I, uh, when I was over there and traveling around and they would have mail for me. Right. Sure. We just send it in care of the post office. So international listeners will probably know that it is a, it's one of the functions of a post office to gather your mail. But she does this, she, you know, like, I don't want to monkey with it. It seems like sorcery to me. Yeah. Like the post office gets your mail to you most of the time. Sometimes they deliver it to your neighbors. Sometimes it never comes at all. But, and sometimes you get your neighbor's mail, but for the most part, 
It works. So don't screw around with it. I've been to the post office. I've been to the post office a lot. The idea that they would get a little card that says, please hold my mail or change of address and that the people there would get it right. You know, like why tempt fate? Yeah, no, I I totally get it. I agree with you. It is really, really mysterious how that all works, especially in a national and, and really international, but national scale that we actually get any mail at all is still with the way that some people write and address things. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it makes sense that if all the envelopes had to be typed and they had to be in like a Helvetica 12 point font and, and they had machine readers, but are there still human beings like looking at, I, because I think what happens is if, if their system that handles the processing of the mail, if their system works, then it can read what you've written and address it and send it to the right place. But I guess there's ones that get kicked back and then they got to have like, there's a human whose job is just to like figure out yeah. addresses. Yeah. Read old lady handwriting. Right. <laughs> or read handwriting of people that don't know how to address a letter. Although I can't imagine the amount of time they spent teaching us how to address letters when we were little. Yeah. I can't imagine that you could, but I mean, I, I bet they don't do that anymore. If they're not teaching cursive in the schools, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. you know, yeah, we're, but, we're to have to teach, we have to teach my kids or still are teaching, especially my daughter's learning it right now of cursive. And last night yeah. my son and I were sitting and watching a Minecraft video and she came in and my wife did one of these things where she sort of just like opens the door and sends the child in and closes the door, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like. Uh-huh. She's uh-huh. your problem now kind uh-huh. of thing. And she's uh-huh. crying and crying and crying. I'm like, what's wrong, baby? She's like, I don't want to learn cursive. It's stupid. I don't know why I need to learn it. There's, we don't even need to know it anymore. Mommy's making me. And she told the teacher I had to learn it too. And I was like, well, she's like, mom says I need to hold the paper at a slant at an angle. And I don't want to hold it at an angle. I like my way. Is she, is she left-handed? <laughs> no, she's right-handed, oh, okay. but you know how you're supposed to have the paper. My son is left-handed, sure. but you're supposed to have the paper at a certain, you know, angle mm-hmm. to your writing. Mm-hmm. They don't teach anything in schools. They don't even give them textbooks oh. anymore. It's crazy. Oh. So is she, did you successfully talk her down out of that tree? I calmed, is she gonna... her, calmed her down and she's back to doing it again. Yes. Well, you know, cursive is fancy. And so, uh, you couldn't keep my kid from learning cursive because it's fancy. And she made a connection between fancy writing, cursive writing, and just generally being fancy. Yeah. And my daughter's super fancy too. And, and that's what surprises me about it is she never made that connection, I guess. Well, you got to make it for her. You got to say, this is the fancy writing of the Lords and ladies. Mm. And, uh. I don't know. Show her some videos of people writing fancy letters with calligraphy uh, feathers and and whatnot, and maybe it'll maybe it'll click. Because mm-hmm. I ha- I'm forced to read cursive writing all the time uh, because uh, because my daughter's become obsessed with it because now everything she writes is in cursive, and you know that's not the most legible. Eight year old cursive isn't the most legible writing. Anyway, my experience now of the of uh, uh, going to the post office to retrieve our ballots in order to get the ballots in 
on time. Mm-hmm. Like she flew home. I picked her up at the airport, took her home to sleep. And then when she woke up the next day, the mission was get to the post office where they're holding the mail. We wade through the mail, find the ballot. We'll cast our ballots. But you can't, you're not, you can't mail them in. You know, it's election day. You got to go cast them. Right. And uh, boy, it felt like, it felt like we had, ju- we were just trusting so many people along that chain, so many mail sorters and ballot counters. Right. And, uh, and it was all done in this very analog world. It was kind of a thrill. Look at us, paper ballot with our <laughs> pens out. And we're, and we, you know, she and I, when we cast our vote, we always kind of sit across the room from each other and go, what do you think of this guy? What do you think, what do you think of this asshole? He wants to be port commissioner. And then we debate his merits. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we, we used to, we used to be pretty close on a ballot and these days, uh, we diverge a little bit. Mm-hmm. She'll, she'll vote for things. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'm, I kind of take a more, more, uh, I'll sit and puff on my pipe pipe about it a little bit yeah. longer. You know, she 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 votes a straight party ticket. But it's nice she never harangues, she never cajoles. We just sit and debate the issues. Yeah. Yeah. And the local, you know, I since since the city council run, I kind of have tried to stay a little bit like at one remove from getting super agitated about Seattle elections. Yeah. Uh, but this has been a, this has been a, uh, tumultuous election. And, um, so it's, you know, it's been exciting, I guess, to sit and watch it from a distance. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe I should just, Maybe I should stay away <laughs> from Seattle politics. I feel like, feel, uh, you know, like I don't want to get sucked back into that. No. I, well, I do. I do. I really you do? do. But I can't. But I can't. Why? It's bad. Why? It's just, it's bad for my health. The more, Dan, the, the more I have been detaching, the calmer and healthier I've been. I like that. I and like the sound of this. Well, it's good. And the thing is that, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, all sorts of little parts of me want to reattach. I, you know, I have a, I have a, um, a agent, a book agent who lives uh-huh. in New York city. He's a charming young man. He's uh, just recently gotten engaged and he and I have been talking about me writing a book and, uh, and him selling it on yeah. my behalf for a long time, for several years, for yeah. a half a dozen years or more. When when he when we first met, he was just a he was fresh out of school, and now he's a hoary old oak. <laughs> and this entire time, I have never once actually written anything. We just talk about it, and he's he is so he perseveres against all of my like intransigence. Yeah. And he's and he's steady, you know. He like I won't hear from him for a while, and then he just out of the blue is like. Here I am. Let's talk about you writing a book. And I woke up this morning and I was like, I should just write punk rock is bullshit into a book. And 
I honestly thought it was a great idea. And at a, for a certain kind of person, it is a great idea. Yeah. It's a it's a grabby title. It would be an infuriating book that would that would make people rage against it. It would be you know a controversy book. Uh-huh. It would be a troll book. <laughs> okay. Uh, or rather, I could write anything under that title. It's just a troll title. It is, yeah. It is. You know, the rest of the book, I could I could celebrate punk rock in all its forms. Sure. Um, and I, you know, and I sort of, when I woke up this morning, I was like, huh, that's a good idea. I should just do that. That would be easy to do. And then I remembered how I felt during the aftermath of publishing that, that, uh, article punk rock is bullshit. Yeah. How much rage was directed at me. Right. You know, just yes. like vitriol and, and, um, and, you know, enough that my friends didn't support me, mm-hmm. you know, they all threw up their hands and said, well, if the, you know, if you want to write that kind of article, then you deserve to get shit on. That's not nice. Like, oh, no, it wasn't. It felt bad. The whole period around publishing that article, which I thought was going to be fun and funny. Right was, and this is, you know, a long time, this is however long ago, a long time ago, 2014 or something, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the internet was already capable of mounting a, a coordinated attack on somebody. Yeah. And, uh, and so when I woke up this morning, I was like, I should write, I should just write that. I was like, no, remember how that felt. You are not, you know, I'm not a natural, um, figure of public controversy. I like being a public figure. I like having my thoughts communicated to others and having my thoughts debated and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, challenged even. I don't like being a, a figure of controversy where, um, where I have defenders and, and deriders. I just want to be, I want to live a more peaceful life than that. Yeah. That's and a, I don't talk about, the, talk about feeling stress and that's. Ugh. Well, but there are plenty of people that love it, that love to come out with, you know, Camille Paglia or whatever, love to take on the world and fight everybody because I guess they're convinced they're right. And they just like, fighting there are plenty of people like that so many people the world is full of people like that that just love fighting and at the end of the day i mean i definitely feel like i'm right about things (laughs) but i want to convince people of that i don't want to sit and and i don't want to be smug i don't want to um i don't assume that i'm right i think i am but could be wrong. I, I'm not confident enough to just stand there and say, you're all on the wrong side of history and, you know, you're, and I, and I feed on your hatred. I, I, I drink your tears. Right. So, but it's funny how my brain will take me there, mm-hmm. right? We'll say, oh, you should just write punk rockers bullshit. That'd be easy. And it's not even, I'm not even thinking like, you know, it's a, 
it's going to sell a lot of copies. I'm just thinking, oh, that's, you know, like what's, let's see, what's, what are, what are some of my catchphrases? You just kind of want to get out of your system. It sounds like. <laughs> well, there's something, I mean, geez. What? So I want to, you know, I, 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 I want to keep participating and I don't want to be at, uh, on the receiving end of of a, of a bunch of negative energy, mm-hmm. I guess is, yeah, the, blame is the long and the short of it. Well, except those are, those don't really go hand in hand. Um, and especially now, if you want to participate, there's a lot of, lot of people out there who's, who all they do is pour negative energy into the world. Right. Of course. You know, the idea that you would have even have a diversity of perspectives is in, it, it enrages a certain segment of the population. Now. It does. I don't, allowed- I don't get that, John. I really, I no. talked talk to, to some friends about this just the other day and I don't, I don't understand that. Well, it's just, there's a lot of dogmatism in the world and in education. We've talked about it before. I really yeah. do think it's a, it's a product of the decay of the institution of university mm-hmm. in the sense that you get a lot of, People who are teaching college and a lot of people in college, there are too many colleges, too mm-hmm. many people in college and too many college teachers, and they're not all good. They're not all good and they're not all smart. And so what they get is a kind of cookie cutter education taught by sort of cookie cutter intellectuals. And what that results in is is an education that does not encourage you to think broadly about things and be uncertain, what it gives you is an education that teaches you that there is a a right way and a wrong way and that you know what the right way is. Right. It's the only explanation uh, that I can think of that would produce this much hostility to perspective, you know, like how can you be hostile to perspective? But there, but, but there is, there's a, there's a, like a movement almost of people who are hostile to, to, uh, different, to the idea of different viewpoints, which is like different viewpoints. Those two, two words. <laughs> but they, they feel that you shouldn't have the viewpoints because they don't agree with the viewpoints. And if you have the well, viewpoints, then you're wrong. No, they think there's a right viewpoint is what it is. But yeah. different viewpoints is basically what my major in college was. How do you, <laughs> how do you go to, how do you get a liberal arts degree and not, and not have learned, not just, that's the thing. It's not just that you learned some different viewpoints. You learn different viewpoints. <laughs> like that's the philosophy of your life. That becomes the philosophy of the way you educate yourself. It isn't, you know, college isn't just an opportunity to go, you already know what the right answer is, but you go and you listen to a couple of other arguments just so that you can feel like you flushed in the, you know, you filled in the bubbles and then you go back to knowing everything all again. And the thing is, it's the teachers, you know, it's the teachers that have that same kind of smug certitude that they, that they figured it out and that they're teaching you what the truth is. That was, that was anathema to the way that the people that I studied with at the university thought, you know, I mean, we, we routinely it was almost a it was almost our motto that when you left the introduction to the comparative history of ideas when, when you know if you were a if you were entering student a sophomore or whatever and you were te- you were taking 
intro to the comparative history of ideas, you should leave that class knowing far less than you knew when you arrived. Mm, right. You should leave that class utterly confused about what you know <laughs> and think you know. Right. You sh it sh that, that class should make you uncomfortable. It should make you feel unstable. Right. The, the, the goal of that class was absolutely not to produce right. for you a pantheon of heroes to, uh, you know, and, and alternative heroes that supplant the old heroes. Um, it was absolutely not to give you an ideology. And so I, you know, it's the, it's the one, the, 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 the one political platform I never hear anybody else advance, which is there are too many colleges, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and there need to be far fewer. There need to be uh, like, like five out of 10 universities should be trade schools. The existing ones now, I mean, all the agricultural schools should go back to being Aggies. All the, you know, it's just like there, 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 there should not be six universities in Seattle or 16 or however many there are. I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even know if I could count them because there just isn't that much smartness to impart to people. You know, there's not. There just aren't that many, there's not a need for that many university educated people. There is a tremendous need for that many people educated in a discipline or a trade mm -hmm. or a vocation. And, you know, I get, a, I, I, I send a lot of smack out to our people in the form of saying that computer maths is a trade, mm -hmm. but I, but I believe that about almost everything, you know, like why do law enforcement officers go to the university? They, that's not where they belong. They belong in really good police academies. Like the idea that, and I think the idea was, oh, you send them to university and they get a diversity of opinion and they learn about, they learn a broad swipe of culture and that makes them better law enforcement officers. Well, it doesn't, you know, they just take law enforcement classes. They take criminal justice classes at the university and they're forced to take, you know, their core requirements. Mm -hmm. That's not where they want to be. They want to be over at a really cool police academy learning police stuff. Yeah. And that's the, that's the function of police in society. You know, not every police officer do we need to be like a, like a Socratic thinker. <laughs> like they are enforcing the law, which is a thing that has been, the law has been determined by legislatures and, and there is a city attorney and there's a mayor's office. I mean, everybody has a job, right? And the, and the police need to understand what the limits of their job are. And, and when you send them to college and you, and you say like, well, here is Epictetus, you know, the, I don't think it helps. I don't think it helps them in their traffic stops. I honestly don't. <laughs> Maybe it hinders them. It does. You know, so, so all it means, I mean, we like to think that, that this proliferation of education means that we're smarter, but I don't think it does. I think it just, it, it, I think it has become, it clearly doesn't, we're not any smarter, right? If you just, if you look at the number of colleges there were in 1950 and the, the relative smartness of people mm -hmm. and the, 
number of colleges there are now in the relative smartness of people. I don't think we see like, oh, the universities have made us all into philosopher lords. Right. Philosopher lords. <laughs> I've made this argument before, but but I just I, culturally, I I look around and I feel like the solutions are the we we're past we're past the point. Now, where where the argument I'm making can be effective, right? We're never going to take away universities. All we're going to do is add more. But are you suggesting that we take take away existing universities through what consolidation of some kind? Now, that's the thing. I can't make that. the 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 ship has sailed. What I'm doing, what I'm what I'm doing is predicting the following: universities have long been, I mean, in the last thirty years, have increasingly become for profit enterprises. Mm-hmm. They have increasingly been basically another layer of padding between childhood and adulthood. They have become an opportunity for people to be put into crushing debt. So every stage along the way, there's another layer of people that are, that are siphoning money off of you in exchange for uh, continuing your childhood for four years. And in the end, you get a document that proves that you, basically, that just proves you made it, proves you could do it. Right. But I mean, that, that to be honest, that's what a lot of employers are looking for is, could, could you spend four years doing this thing that I did 15 years ago? Right. But, and, and you did it, I did it, so I want everyone who works with me to also do it. It's a, it, but it's a complete performance. Yes. Right. Because that employer and you and I and most of people know that that four years is just, I mean, you can get through college with a minimum of effort. Right. Now, that's not to say that if you go and study molecular biology that you can, and the jobs of molecular biologists, those are rare jobs, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you have to prove that you can do them. But you can get a degree in sociology at any major college and, you know, and do it with like, with functional reading skills. You know what I mean? Like you can, if you have middle-class parents who can pay the fees and you can get a gentleman's C, you can get through college just basically drinking for four years. I know a million people who have. Mm -hmm. The problem is that that employer 15 years ago, when they went to college, they paid $3,000 a year in tuition. Right. But this proliferation of the, of commercializing universities, now you, now it's $25,000 a year to go to a shitty school, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. don't even know, but I, 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 when I, mean, I went we to the We don't need to worry about that because our kids will be on full scholarships, but. <laughs> yeah, who knows? We would like to say thank you very much to Mac Weldon. I'm sure you've heard of Mac Weldon before. You probably heard me talk about Mac Weldon before. And it is uh, it is a wonderful occurrence when we get a sponsor that's actually really cool and whose stuff I really like. It happens from time to time, but this is a situation where it, I'm really excited because I love Mac Weldon. They make really, really great clothing. This They are a premium men's essentials brand, and they believe in smart design and premium fabrics and they started from scratch they actually engineered their own fabric and it's so funny because 
almost all the clothes that I get as my son's getting older, he kind of steals them. And so he stole uh, my favorite thing from Mack Weldon is their hoodies. They're so well made. They're thick and uh, without being heavy. They're warm without making you feel too hot. You know, they're perfect. And they have the best, you know, in, in a hoodie, how you get the little, uh, the little strings that you pull the hood down with. Even those are really high quality. They're not just some crappy piece of fabric with a knot at the end of it. They're nice. And the zippers are on the pockets so you can put something in your pocket like your phone or your keys and zip it closed and you don't have to worry that it's just going to plop out while you're in a cab or on the bus or sitting on your sofa. Wonderful little attention to detail that goes across their entire, entire line of clothing. And, uh, and, and I just, I can't say enough about it, but it's also very, very comfortable, especially their underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts. I'm wearing one of their undershirts right now, hoodies, sweatpants. It's the best stuff and it lasts forever and ever. They even have a line of silver underwear, uh, and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. And Mac Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, and you should really start with the underwear, that's what they're known for, uh, then you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. Not only do their underwear and their socks and their shirts look good, but they will perform well. You can wear them to work out. You can wear them to work. You can wear them wherever and they'll be comfortable and they'll, uh, they'll keep you smelling fresh. So here's the special offer that you've been waiting for. 20% off your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com, and enter the promo code ROADWORK. Again, that's 20% off at MacWeldon using the promo code ROADWORK. Going there, you'll support our show, and you'll do yourself a favor because you'll get some really cool clothes. Thanks very much to Mac Weldon for making this show possible. When I went to the University of Washington, it, it was $700 a quarter. Oh, God. <laughs> That's amazing. For a full load. That's crazy. That was in-state tuition. Now, if I was out-of-state tuition, it was like $1,500 or $2,500 a quarter. Something crazy like that. So, so yeah, you know, 25 years ago, you could drink your way through college. And now you can drink your way through college. It's just now it has become a way to put you into permadebt. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, to, to start you on the path of being someone who can never, um, I mean, somebody who's like on the treadmill, I went to college for $700 a quarter and, and that cheapness of it was part of what enabled me to sit around in cafes all day and talk about art. Because when I got out of college, I didn't know anybody, any money, um, because you could pay for your tuition. With a job, right? Like a shitty job, you could work in a cafe and pay your pay your tuition. And so I didn't come out of college feeling like I needed to, like I was in a panic. I mean, I was in a panic because I was a because I was twenty four and I right. didn't know <laughs> how to, you know, couldn't imagine that I would ever be useful or that that I would ever succeed beyond like the the scrub level. But I didn't also have debt. But the thing is that the genie's out of the bottle. I can't, I can't say, I mean, so it's only going to do this. It's only going to get worse 
there's not going to be a citizen rebellion where people say, we're not sending our kids to college because college is a sham. The whole, the whole notion of it has been, you know, the whole meritocratic notion that through education, you can lift yourself up and put yourself into a better, uh, you know, a better place than your parents and that we're all, as we, as we get more educated, we're going to make good, good decisions, political decisions. We're going to become a more enlightened society because everyone is, everyone has an education. And so we're not going to fall prey to ignorance and petty disputes, tribalism. We're all going to be smart because of college, because, because, the opportunity to go to college. Well, not, none of that's happened. That it, the opposite, in some ways. The opposite? How? Well, are, is there less tribalism in America? No, we were just talking about that. The <laughs> it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Is how? Yeah, it's less. Uh, it, we have not. College has not transformed us. As an as the American people, the like access to a college education used to mean that your immigrant parents who were, you know, who were working in the back of a pizza parlor worked hard and got that seven hundred dollars a quarter right. to send you to college, and then you got a professional job, and you know, and your kids were raised uh, having music lessons. Like that, that was the American premise and, and those kids that, and your kids had music lessons and then they became Democrats because they realized the, the truth of liberalism. Well, I feel like the proof is in the pudding, Mm -hmm. but so what do we do when we're living in a world I don't know. There's an article in the, in the Atlantic the other day about a guy who lives in New York, who's trying to figure out how to educate his kids. And, you know, his choices are between sending them to private schools that cost him $80,000 a year to send his kid to, you know, grade school. Right. Uh, but which ensure that his kids will get into good colleges because it's a, you know, it's this like completely pampered existence all the way through to these legacy backdoors into Ivy League colleges. Right. Or, you know, go through this crazy process of sending his kid to kids to um, New York City public schools with all of the, you know, all the education fadism, all of the, you know, the group think that goes along with like urban public schools. Right. At what point does, you know, at what point do you make a decision like the success of my kid, how they're going to, how the world is going to look in 30 years. I believe that university education is the wrong direction. Like I think there, you can put together a great education for a person and not do that grind and it would require that there be some sort of rebellion, you know, a a kind of, and I don't see that. And I don't see that happening. You know, I don't see there being enough conviction 
because the thing is the you know the 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 tastemakers the thought leaders the people that that typically do that kind of thing which is to say upper middle class liberals who who are the people that can afford to do it right they're the ones that are still getting their kids into Princeton or the University of Colorado at least <laughs> Colorado no it would it would require that the middle class make that determination but how do you do that if you're like, well, you know what? All I want to do is be a good cop. Right. And then you go to, you go and they're like, well, if you don't have a college degree, it's like, fuck, really? I can't just be a good cop without, without going to some college? Like, well, I'll join the Navy. Well, you know, increasingly you need a college degree to join the Navy. You know, and I mean, not, not just to be an like, officer, but to enlist. To be given additional authority, hmm. right? I mean, anybody can enlist in the Navy. Right. But to use the Navy as a um, career, you know, to to walk your way up the ranks and become a person with, um, who ends up in a leadership position mm-hmm. as an enlisted person or as an officer, you know, somewhere along the line, <clears throat> if you are a, a master sergeant and you're competing for promotion with another master sergeant right? and the other master sergeant has a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. That's almost a foregone conclusion. And I mean, what's nice about the military is that they'll send you to college. Although I don't know. Um, I don't know if you are a, you know, if you're a sergeant, whether they, I don't know how that works exactly. You know, whether they will send you off to college or whether you do, you do night school or something. I'm not sure, but, but I know that it's a, it's part of that process. How do we create a, uh, like a system of academies that teach people what they want to learn that don't run them through this whole, you know, like, I used to be such a defender of the core curriculum. I believed in it, like religiously, that there were all these kids coming into the university that were that all they wanted to do was go to business school. All they wanted to do was, um, you know, go into the graphic design or or mm-hmm. um, all these things that I guess you know I considered trades even then, and I thought at the time that they should be forced to take this core curriculum because, because all it took was they were going to read Plato's Republic and the scales were going to fall from their eyes and they were going to go out and become the graphic designers of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, that we were on the, we were in the process of creating a utopia. And so, yes, all of our police needed to also be well-versed in not just the Declaration of Independence, but the, you know, the writings of Descartes. <laughs> and now I just feel the opposite. I feel like, eh, a core curriculum isn't helping anybody. It, we have so many college-educated people right now who are, who who aren't 
able to put together a string of ideas. And as I've said before, they think they can because they have college educations. And so they've become this like this, this dangerous force in the world. People, people who think they're smart. <sighs> and so what do you do? You can't take that away. Everybody loves to think they're smart. Yeah. You can't make it harder to go to college because that's already a major complaint. It's still too hard. It's still too, you know, it's too difficult to go to college. We need to make it easier. We need to make it easier and easier. And we need to make it cheaper for free. And, you know, you never hear in any of those arguments about how college should be free that, that college should be, um, stricter. Like, yeah, let's make it free, but let's also make it harder to graduate because grades get, because grades are hard to get. Like, let's set the curve really high, right? All, the, every argument about college being free, none of them make any, or, or affordable even, mm -hmm. you never hear anyone talk about college having requirements. Now, I'm not talking about to get in. I'm talking about to get out. Like, the assumption is that everybody should go to college who wants to. Mm -hmm. And then, presumably, everyone should graduate. So that just right there, you see the, you see the logic. The logic is not that this should be hard. You're saying it should, you, it should just cost money. Me? I'm saying that that's, well, that's what they're, you're pointing out that they say that it, that that's, that if you pay, then you get a college degree. That's what they're, that the, the, we have already lost a long time ago. The idea that, um, that college is a thing that a lot of people start and not very many people finish. You know, college was a thing like special forces school. Just because you got into college and started college didn't mean you were going to get out of college. Right. You might not make it. You might not make it out of high school. Mm -hmm. But along the way, we, had, we, we developed these ideas that everybody needed to make it. Everybody needed to succeed and to the degree that we can, we have special programs for people that are struggling, but the, the main, the vast majority of people are coasting and they coast through, they figure it out. You know, it's amazing how many people can drive. It's an argument in favor of the, like the, like the argument we made the other day in the, in the after show that all people are the same. Right. One of the best arguments for all people being more or less the same is that everyone can drive, but no one's really that much better than anyone else or that much worse. You know, like there are race car drivers, but billions of people are driving cars, which are, which require a lot. There's a lot that goes into driving reflexes and looking ahead, planning, Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, m moving your body in coordination to operate this very complicated machine. Everybody's doing it. Little old ladies, people who can't read. That must mean that it's not that hard. It's well, or that we all have very similar skills. Mm -hmm. And that you driving know? is one of those skills that almost everybody has almost naturally. 
With a little yeah. bit of practice, you can do it. Someone invented this machine and... Right, the machine you know, uses stuff that we're already good at. That's all. Yeah, you grab this You grab this bent stick and you twist it this way to go that way and you twist it this way to go that way. You got it? Yeah, okay. So this pedal makes it go. This pedal makes it stop. Got it? Good. All right, look around. Now these are mirrors and you look at them and it, you can see the stuff behind you, but it's in reverse. It's backwards of what it looks like. Can you get your head around that? All right. If you push You're the, this pedal, <laughs> if you push this pedal too hard, you'll go really fast. Don't do that. We'll put signs up around that tell you to match the number on the sign to the number on the dial in the card. You see how they match? Get it about like that, right in the range. This one that stops it, if you push on it too hard, it'll stop too much and it'll hurt, it'll hurt your neck. So gentle. Good luck. It's about right. And it's, you know, that's bonkers, right? Like the, like the Telecaster, like the person that invented the electric guitar also made a machine that had six strings and a series of 24 little metal frets. Now the guitar, you put it in someone's hand and you go, see if you touch the string and you pluck it with a, with a plucker or with your thumb, It'll make a note, bing, see that? And if you move it up, bing, it goes higher. If you put two of them together, bang, it makes a chord. So there you go, good luck. Well, not everybody could figure that out, right? One in a hundred thousand people have actually figured out how to play the guitar. Right. So somewhere between driving a car and playing guitar is the limit. There's a, there's a aperture that... Most people can't get through it. That's the, that is the, the degree of difficulty line. Um, and, and, and weirdly it's not playing guitar. Isn't that much more difficult than playing than driving a car. So that whatever that line is that weeds out most people, I mean, that's our line of, of skill, skill line right there. We should, you know, you should, we should, we should make a flower line in, on the, on the ball field and say like, all right, everybody over on this side, huh. we can all drive. Hardly any of us can play guitar. And there are, you know, there are dozens of examples of, uh, that where guitar is similarly difficult to what, what's the, what, what is the computer version of playing guitar? I guess it's like a programming yeah, maybe writing code. Writing code. Yeah, sure. You you say writing code as though it's a <laughs> as though it's a kind of thing, like it's a skill that you acquire. But writing code is just like playing guitar, right? You can be really gifted at it, or you can just pluck along at it. Mm -hmm. Would you Would you say that was true? Yeah, absolutely true. You can be you can be like a genius at it. Sure, writing code. Sure. And other code writers see your code and go, wow. Yeah, man. definitely. Definitely. Oh, that's see really good. Oh, I like, like, look, look at how, look at that, how they solved that problem. Look at the thing they did there. That's really, I never would have thought to do it that way. That's so much better. They can see it in your code, but can they also see it just in the machine as it runs? If, as you're running your code, do they see it go by and they're like, whoa, how did he do that? I, I, I suppose. How did Dan Benjamin do it? How did he make it? <laughs> yeah. 
And that's what they say every time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm I'm rambling, and I'm not rambling. I'm ranting. Around. It's, a, it's you know. I understand exactly what you mean, and I think any parent, like none of this stuff mattered to me, even in the slightest, until I became a parent. Who cares? You know, like I don't care. I got my degree. I'm out of there. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm done. Paid my dues. But that's how I saw college. That's how I saw high school and college. I never saw it as an op. And this kid, this is from somebody who both parents worked in education and my aunt. I have the least education of anyone in my family. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, parent. Well, I think my grandmother had the same as me. But yeah, everyone else has at least a master's, if not a doctorate, or multiple master's degrees. And uh, and I have the very least amount of education with my no my, kidding my measly old bachelor's degree. Uh, yeah, and that's it's it's because I just wanted to get the hell out of there. I I didn't value it. Um, it was you know there was there was a, a few classes that I liked. Uh, and you know, and other than that, it, it really was just about like, I've got to, this is, this is the thing that I need to be able to list that I've done so that I can get on with the rest of my life, which should start really, really soon, but it's not starting soon enough because of this stupid college thing that I have to do. It was an obstacle for me. It was something that was in the way, taking too much time. Uh, too expensive. And I just wanted to get through it and get out of there. And you know what? I missed uh, some really good opportunities to learn some stuff. Like what? Uh, chemistry. chemistry. I would have. Yeah, I would have. Uh, I think I would have benefited from knowing more about chemistry. If well, I tell had, me why. Tell me why you would have needed chemistry. Mix stuff up. Like, you know add one thing in a bottle to another thing and you got a third thing. That's yeah. But is this cool. something that you would do? Is this I don't know. That- John, that's the whole thing. I don't know because I didn't learn it. If but I you're had saying learned this, it, like you're, you're saying chemistry in the same way that people are like, I wish I'd had art lessons. Yeah. Well, yeah, but <clears throat> so this is, this is the kind of stuff like where we all want to be more well-rounded. Sure. But like, I mean, I took <clears throat> chemistry. I just didn't pay much attention to it. Right. You know, I there did, I did what I needed to do to get a passing grade in that class. And that, that was enough for me. And I didn't go any further than that. Right. I just well, was that, like, there's the rub. I'll pass. This is enough to pass. Then that's, that's fine. Cause this is not interesting to me at the time. You know, I had a couple real good history teachers and those history teachers made learning about history, which at the time was not very interesting to me, much more interesting. And it opened my eyes to history in general. I mean, this is what every, like you would, my mom was a college and my mom was a college professor. Mm. And, you know, I know from talking to lots of professors that like the dream for them is, you know, is to have someone come up to them, a student come up to them and say, you know, before your class, I didn't give a rat's ass about topic. But mm. now, oh, I can't get enough. And it's all thanks to you and the way that you teach. And, you know, thank you. 
Mm-hmm. And I had that experience a couple times with a couple teachers. One of them was a history teacher. And I had always looked at history as, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. Mm. And it wasn't interesting. And the reason why was that it was never the... The human side of it was never presented. It was all, well, on this day, these people did this thing. And the way that this teacher presented it was he he told us really interesting stories about the people that we were learning about, about the scenario. So when we talked about carpetbaggers, it wasn't just a carpetbagger is, you know, he actually explained like where they came from and why and why they were carpetbaggers and where the term came from. And he made it very you know, very, very realistic in a way. Um, and that had a huge impact on me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, like it changed my perspective of that entire concept, but like that never happened for me in chemistry class In chemistry, Mm -hmm. it was always just memorizing, memorizing things, you know, and, and, and remembering the way to compute a thing in math and, and I didn't see any value for that in my life. And looking back, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I'll give you another example. In my, my major um, was uh, technical writing. And we had these classes, they were called technical documentation. There was tech doc one, two, and three. And in three, you're pretty much what you did for your project, which was the whole semester, was you went to, like, they, they hooked you up with some company that needed some kind of guide written or agreed to humor the student and pretend that they needed a guide written. And it could be like a style and standards guide, or it could be a documentation about some project or some product that they had, you know, it was more than busy work, but it's actually what you wind up doing in, in tech writing, which is why I never became a technical writer. But throughout this class that they were teaching, you know, your assignment was to go and, go meet with the people at this company and everyone had a different company they went to and a different project to work on. And I just, I remember one of the, 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 one of the big assignments, one of the things that you had to do was you had to go and and keep a journal about your experiences. It wasn't enough that you had to do a outline uh, it wasn't enough that you had to write multiple rough drafts and submit them. And I should add, I, I think because I inherited perhaps from my, uh, my mom mainly, but from both my parents, I'm a very good writer. There are few things that I do well. Writing is one of them. And it always came very naturally to me. And so I always excelled in my English classes. I always got A's without trying. I was the kid that would check out the library books on the Sunday before the, you know, 10 page term paper was due, sit down with them, write it, turn it in, get an A. And my friends uh, would look at me and say, you're going to flunk this. And I'd say, it's nothing. I got it. I'll do it while I'm watching Star Trek. And I would get an A every time. I never got less than an A in any English class in my life. And I did it without trying and it was easy. And so of course it was natural for me to go and get a a degree in this, but I didn't need the tools that most people use to write well because of this bizarre ability that I had. So like for me, writing an outline, that wasn't optional. That was for the teacher. 
writing a, a, you know, a rough draft. That was for the teacher. I had spell check on my computer. That was, you know, that was the one thing that I needed. And that was it. I didn't have to edit. I didn't have to revise. It was good the first time I wrote it. And revising it, typically I wouldn't find anything to change. I'd liked it. And I'd turn in and get an A. And the teachers hated me because they knew I didn't want to do any of this stuff. I would just sit there, where's your rough draft? I didn't do it. Well, you know, that's X percent of your grade. All right, well, you know, I'll deal with that. And it was like the one thing that I was very good at in my life. And in this Tech Doc 3 class, like your whole grade was these journals that you were supposed to write. And there would be these other students who were, who were older than me. I was, you know, I was, I, I was a year younger than everybody, you know, in my whole educational career. Cause they, my mom started me early and, you know, I have an October birthday. So I was either going to be the youngest kid in the class or the oldest kid. And looking back, I should have been the oldest. Uh, I, I was emotionally immature and physically smaller So it would have done me great service to have been the oldest kid. But my mom also said, oh, you were just ready. You were ready. Translated means I wanted you out of the house. You were driving me crazy. And so I was this kid uh, taking these classes and there were people who, in some cases, some of the students had returned to college. You know, they had actually gone and lived their life for a while and, and been real people in the world and had, were putting themselves through college or had loans. And these people were dead serious about, they took this class really seriously and they wouldn't just write a journal. Like today I, you know, I wrote three paragraphs on this and I found this difficult and this was a challenge. And this is how I say, they were like pouring their hearts and souls out to this, into this technical documentation class and into these journals that they would turn in. And the teacher read them all, Dr. Jones, and he read and really thought about everything that you wrote. And I was, I was like, Oh crap, I got to make this thing up. Cause I wasn't even doing the work. I wasn't even writing the thing I was supposed to be writing. I would do that the weekend before it was due and get an A like I always had, but he wouldn't let that fly because he said, that's not how it is in the real world. Uh, in the real world, you have, you have to do things like this and it takes a long time and you got to learn it and blah, blah, blah. And so there I was kind of just turning in these really crappy things that I got absolutely nothing out of that class. But there were people who were all around me who were getting tremendous value out of it, who were like learning. And I was like, I, there's nothing I have to learn here. And of course I was wrong. Of course there was plenty I could have learned. Of course I squandered a huge opportunity to, to learn more and, and perfect my craft as a writer and all this other nonsense. And there were people who, again, they were older. They were, you know, in, in some cases they were the same age as me, but just taking it more seriously. Uh, you know, and I, I look back on that and I'm like, there, there were lots of opportunities for learning. And one of the, so one of the things I've done as an adult is try to find those opportunities to learn in any situation that I'm in. You know, it, when I have to do something that seems stupid or that seems boring or that seems you know, dis, not, not just not interesting to me. I'll try to find something interesting in it. I'll try to find something about it that is a, a learning experience. And just because so much of my life I was just writing things off. Eh, it's kind of boring. It's not for me. I'll just get through it. But that's what the whole of college was to me. It was, it was a means to an end. It was a means to independence. 
specifically financial independence. It was, this is how I'm going to be able to, to live on my own and do the things that I want to do when I want to do them. And it was never about learning. It was never about being educated. It was never about, and, and I wasn't a partier either. It wasn't a social thing. Uh, I wasn't going to parties and drinking. I wasn't like doing anything like that. It was just waiting. It was just biding my time and doing, doing my chores. And my chores now were, I have to write these journal entries for Dr. Jones. I have to study for this test the, so that I can pass it. And that's it. I never wanted to excel. It meant nothing to me. Getting a diploma meant nothing to me. Standing on stage with people that I didn't really know and walking across and having my name called, that represented one thing. Freedom from the institution of education, from being beholden to anyone uh, for anything anymore. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to be away from it. I wanted to be independent. And of course, looking back, I'm like, and you know, but that's how I always was. I got my first job. I started working on my 13th birthday at Burger King and I haven't not had a job since. Uh, and I just, because I wanted independence and I knew that in my case, independence meant financial independence and that came from working. And so I've always, always, always worked. I mean, I remember I used to work at a place, Dino's Pizza. Uh, I would work at Publix, the grocery store. I'd work at Publix starting at, you know, eight or nine in the morning. I would get off at like three or four in the afternoon and I'd walk across the street to Dino's Pizza and work there until 1 a.m. And I did that all summer long, many years in a row. Uh, and it was because, because to me that meant this is, you know, this will enable me to have the freedom that I want. And it did. But that's all college was to me. I learned that in, in order to get the kind of job that I want, which is a job where I'm not flipping burgers, that I need to have this document. And this document says, you spent four years, you know, sitting in a classroom and you were able to do that thing. And so when I went and, and applied for a job, oh, are you in school? Yeah, you know, I'm going to be fin I actually was working full time before I was, before I had graduated as a technical, well, say as a technical writer, I got in on, under the pretense of being a technical writer, but I was almost immediately doing software development and and like teaching courses and stuff like that. But I was able to get, a, you know, that was my goal. My goal was not to learn. My goal was to get, a, get through it and get out of there as fast as I could. It wasn't fun. I knew people that, oh, I loved college. I had fun. I hated it. I hated high school, hated college. I just wanted to get out of there. And then I hated all the jobs that I had. Until I started doing my own thing. And that, that's when I started to actually like what I did and look forward to, to, to doing things and look forward to working. But I had so much to learn. And now if I had to go over and do it again, oh my gosh, I would have a great time in college. I wouldn't be able to go because it'd be too expensive, but I would have had a great time. I would have learned stuff. I would have explored stuff. I would have enjoyed the fact that I didn't have any real responsibilities. I would have enjoyed the fact I could like walk around during the day and just look at things, talk to people, meet girls. But I didn't have any fun. I had no fun. 
Do you mean if you went to college today knowing what you know now? Yeah, or or back then knowing what I know now would be fine. Because right. I think I think I would have a very different attitude about it. I think instead of feeling like I just want to get, you know, it's like if 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 you're mowing your yard, you can either enjoy mowing your yard, take pride in the work that you've done, and say, oh look, you know that that patch over there that was a little dried out, we saved that, it came back. Anyhow, I'm going to get that nice thing where it you go up up one way and down the other way, and it looks like a you know, golf course or something, you know, like have fun with it. Or you can say, I just want to get this damn thing over with. It's hot. It's humid. I'm going to have to take another shower after this because it's so damn hot. And, uh, and you know what? The thing is out of gas. Now I get, and it takes, I got to, in order to use the, the edger, I got to mix the oil into the gas. I got to go get the special, you know, mix that. Now I'm out of gas and I got to run out to the gas. You know, there, there's different ways to look at it. You can, you can have fun with it or it can be a chore. And college, college, all of education for me was a huge chore. Huge, boring chore. And I don't, I, you know, I think I was relatively unique in that. My friends didn't seem to share that attitude. I think it was just me. But, you know, I knew, I knew that nothing, nothing that I was going to learn in college was going to was going to be a skill that would ag- adequately prepare me for something in the future. And I'll tell you what, that was true. I was right about that. Nothing nothing helped me in my professional career. It helped might have helped me personally. It might have given me interesting knowledge, but I didn't enjoy it, didn't get anything out of it. And what a waste. It's expensive too. But see, my grandparents, the only way I was even able to go to college, because my grades weren't very good uh, in high school, except English and science. Uh, the only way I got to go is because my grandparents put me on, um, there's this thing back in the day, I don't know if they still have it. It was called the prepaid college plan. I'm positive we've talked about this before. But basically my grandparents, back in the maybe early, mid-70s, paid for my entire college tuition at current going rates. So it was probably a few thousand dollars that they spent in, you know, 1974 when I was a little kid. And, uh, and that wound up essentially paying for my college tuition, which would have been, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars by the, by the nineties. And so I was able to go because they had wisely spent this money, you know, 20 years earlier. And that's the only way I got in. I wasn't even accepted. I was accepted on a transient basis. That's how bad my grades were in high school. Because I I did so well on the ACT that they looked at me and they didn't quite understand. They didn't know what to make of me. How can you get like a 30 on the ACT and have like a 2.8? Like how? Who is this kid? We'll let you in and see what you do. And I just had to get, I had to get through it. I'd get out of there. I feel like it was a waste, you know? Well, look at you now. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you could, you could say that, um, I've learned a lot from the squandered opportunity that I had. I just don't want my kids to repeat that. You know, I try to, I try to encourage them to 
take a look around, you know, and see that they're in a, a nice situation. See that they have it easier. My son said to me the other day, he's like, I kind of can't wait till I don't have to go to school anymore. I said, I don't blame you. I said, but also like, he's like, yeah, but when I'm grown up, everything will be easy. I said, what? He's like, yeah, everything's going to be easy. I'll just, I'll be able to like do what I want and, and go where I want when I want to. I said, yeah, you kind of can for, to, to, depending on <laughs> what other responsibilities you have, like paying your bills. He's like, yeah, but like you could just get in the car and drive somewhere. If you want to drive, you just go get in the truck and go. I said, yeah. So I can also eat anything that I want, but I don't. <laughs> 